Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to live by faith in your holy name. Amen. There is only one God. The church has confessed this since the beginning of time. In Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The reason we need a Holy Trinity Sunday is because we are a forgetful people. And the doctrine of the Holy Trinity can be very confusing. Even though there is only one God, there are three distinct persons within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not just a mystery beyond us. It is also a mystery among us. The mystery of the Holy Trinity is how we experience God. Someone is always claiming God had to create us because he was lonely or needed something to play with. And yet the mystery of the Holy Trinity says God does not need us in order to have something to love or be loved by. Because within himself, love happens. God's love is not a noun, but a verb. And I looked up a couple of words so that I could impress you. God's love is reflexive and transitive. Those are descriptions of verbs. Reflexive love reflects back onto the one who is loving, and transitive love flows from the one who is loving. And so God's love is both reflexive and transitive and all-encompassing. If, in an attempt to explain things, I've muddied the waters, which is quite possible, let me try this. Go stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself. There is the you that is inside your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, your very being. These are things, by the way, that are known only to you, the deepest mysteries that make you unique and unreproducible. Then there is the outside, the, the you that everybody sees. The you, by the way, that you can dress up, make up, cover, and obfuscate. I love that word, in endless ways. No matter how closely anyone looks at your outside, they cannot know anything about your inside unless you allow and make it known to them. Now, the way you make yourself known is through your spirit, which makes the unknown knowable and brings clarity to the known. It, it turns out that you are a trinity of sorts. Now, the life and ministry of the congregation is not an end unto itself. We, the church, are not the purpose of all things. We are simply a tool, a, a blank page that used to have writing on it, which God forgave and is going to use to write on to bring about his work and will. Now, something easily missed in Genesis 2.5. It says, No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no one to work the ground. See, even from the very beginning, it was God's will that we, humanity, would be stewards and caretakers of the world. The world was never designed to be run by artificial intelligence with us humans on eternal vacation. We do not have time, nor will I spend the energy arguing whether or not the creation was six 24-hour days or six billion years. Such arguments miss the point of Genesis 1 and 2. We have a God who could create all of this in six microseconds, and that's enough for me. To argue young versus old earth takes away time and energy that, to be honest, could be used far better elsewhere. All that was created was created with a word. Let there be, God said, which, by the way, in Hebrew is just one word, yehi. And the word tore through the nothingness, echoing in an ever-expanding universe. A 
and suddenly everything just was. But after the things were created, God said to himself, well, let us make man in our image. Instead of speaking, God knelt down and formed a body from and in the dirt. And he may have spit in order because that would have made mud and it would have been a lot easier to have worked with. Then he breathed life into it and he named it Adam. Adama in Hebrew means soil or dirt, but but when it's used as a noun, it, it means humanity. As the breath of God enters his lungs and soul, Adam was suddenly alive. And we are left struggling with that whole which came first, the chicken or the egg joke, because Adam just was. How old was he? I don't know. Did he have a belly button? Well, he didn't need one, but he might have had one. Where and how did he know what he knew? And from what experience, by the way, what language and linguistics in his head allowed him to name the animals? Again, I don't know, but I do know that Adam was. Adam goes to work in the garden, names the animals, and when none of the animals are found to be the perfect companion, Adam falls asleep and God removes a rib and creates Ishna or, or woman. And it's very important to know God did not create a second being, but rather he drew the second being out of the first being. This, this is really important. It fulfills Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. The two are never two. They never have been two. They have always been one, one drawn out of the other. And so even as we deal with the mystery of the Holy Trinity, the let us make man in our image, which sounds a little strange if there is only one God, we must also struggle with there only being one human, even though it appears there are two. And here our theology becomes necessary. If we want proof of the power of sin, of its ability to destroy and corrupt, we need look no further than the first three chapters of Genesis. You see, the Trinity's love and bond is so great it remains one in spite of all of the powers of hell raging against it. For such is the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit for one another that they will never give in to that. And yet we, who were created in the image of God, allow ourselves to be torn apart. Not only are we not one anymore, as our one flesh is torn apart, we become actually less than one, because it is not just our spouse and children we are torn from. The we that is now just us is also torn apart, leaving us less than whole and less than human. It took a hundred years and three major church councils to come to an agreement on the Holy Trinity, and let's face it, they weren't done yet. They could have continued debating that for all eternity. Whether the Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son, or just the Father, whether Jesus was God the whole time, or whether he was adopted at his baptism, was there just one God who put on different masks to play different parts in the Trinity? (sighs) Are the Son and Spirit subordinate to the Father? These are all subjects of discussion at these councils, all heresies that had to be dealt with. When it was all said and done, they settled on the Athanasian Creed, which begins, we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. The math equation would go something like this, one plus one plus one equals one. It goes on to say God is one God, yet three persons. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son, but the Father, Son, and Spirit are all God, and God is one. And then it goes on differentiating without blending or dividing. I suppose it can sound like God is a little rigid with that whole no blending or dividing thing. 
And either God or the, all those pastors sitting around in the council were obviously bad at math because one plus one plus one equaling one. But like creation, we need to be careful about going down rabbit holes that have no end and don't lead anywhere except creating arguments for argument's sake. Some things really are mysteries and some things require faith. If we go to Genesis and the let us make man in our image according to our likeness, we discover something marvelous about our God. You see, the Trinitarian nature of God pours out its whole self, Father, Son, and Spirit, into all of creation. There is a holy flow of giving and receiving, beginning with that first word, let there be. All of creation becomes a divine space in which we, the created, get to live creation and Live it out to the fullness as children of God. We are welcomed into God's relational circle. What had been up until the moment of creation, a whole and complete relationship, missing absolutely nothing, is now even more complete and fuller with the addition of us, his creation. God did not need us, and yet he chose to create us anyway. Not so he would have some kind of entertainment, a a tragic uh, human soap opera, but for us, as imperfect as we are, to be in relationship with him. What do you call something that is more than full? And when something is whole and complete, what can you possibly add to it? If we're looking for a mystery, the one plus one plus one equaling one is nothing compared to God bringing us into his perfect and complete wholeness to bring about a greater wholeness, a greater perfection, however that is possible. A trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, and counselor is not an unknown God like the statue that Paul ran into on Mars Hill, but is a God who reveals himself in word and sacraments to his people through the ages and the spaces. God makes himself known in his word, the font, and the altar, and welcomes us into a sacred journey that ends and then begins again in heaven If you diagram the Bible, specifically the teachings of Jesus in the gospel, you discover the Father sends the Son, who then at the Father's bidding sends the Spirit, and the Spirit welcomes us to the table, having, by the way, first started off at the font, bringing us into the presence of the Father. It's a full image of how God relates to himself and us in this ever-growing circle. We have a God who is impossible to explain, who reveals himself not in endless arguments of doctrine, but in bread and wine and water. Such simple things in and of themselves, but in yet another mystery, convey the very presence and power of God to us, his people. In the waters of baptism, we are washed in the promises of God and brought into his family. In Holy Communion, we taste the promises of God and and eternity. And these are promises that we do not and cannot keep to ourselves, which brings us, by the way, to the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. A number of years ago, someone remarked, the Great Commission is just too overwhelming. God can't possibly expect us to reach the ends of the earth. There are so many people. The world may have been smaller back in the days of Jesus. Estimates are somewhere around 200 million, although they can't possibly know for sure. Today we're over 7 billion, so yeah, we're just a little bit larger. But I need you to think about this. If I had 10 volunteers, just 10 volunteers, I could get you on flights to six continents before 10 o'clock tonight out of Honolulu. 
Yeah. I want you to think about that. It would take lots of connections to make it to the various places. But we literally could have people on six different continents by Tuesday morning. Oh, and if somebody wants to give me $20,000, I'd volunteer to go to the Antarctic via Cape Town, South Africa with White Desert. And then we would actually have all the continents covered. And because of who we are as a church, by the way, I'm pretty sure that with all of us, we know somebody on every continent, which means that whenever that person landed on whatever continent they were going to, there would be somebody waiting for them to escort them out to the crowds to tell them about Jesus. If there is one mistake the church has made since we were commissioned, it is the belief that we are the good news that must go out to the world. The good news is not just that Jesus died and rose again, but also all the things we are, the things we believe, the, the rites and ceremonies and beliefs that make up who we are. And somehow, if the world is to believe in Jesus, they must believe the way we believe, sing the songs we sing, do things the way that we do them. We enmesh our culture, our language, our history, our longings with the gospel and present it as a complete package for the world to take or leave. I need you to listen to Jesus' words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to go and make disciples. And part of this is done by putting things in good order, by teaching the world what Jesus taught. The putting things in good order by necessity begins with the mystery of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that enfolds all things that is God. All the saving and sanctifying work, all the saving and sanctifying work, not just some of it, is the action of God, not us. It is God who is always at work in His creation, but especially in the hearts and the minds of His people as they reach out to those who have never heard His name before, or those who have forgotten His name, or those who for one reason or another only use His name as a curse or swear word because they are angry at the God that they no longer want to believe in. If we are to go to them and tell them for the first time, or perhaps the thousandth time, about the God who loves them, we need to understand our role in this process. We are nothing more, nothing less than the paper which God writes his love letter to the world on. We are nothing more, nothing less than the paper which God writes his love letter to the world on. As the Trinity wraps us into itself, creating, redeeming, and sanctifying us, we become part of the mystery of God's love made known to the world. Our life becomes an invitation to the world. An invitation to a mystery of the highest order and one that leads to a wholeness and a love that cannot be found anywhere else. God erases our failures, our scribblings, our doodles through the cross. The Holy Spirit then writes on us the things that must be said and then sends us on our way to take God's word to those who need to hear it. And in the going... And the bearing of this message, this holy message, we realize that there is a reason that God is sending us where he is sending us. We are not the message. But it may be that we know something of what the one we are going to is going through. 
Or it is possible we need to learn the message as much, if not more, than the one we are going to. And it is also possible that we are the only ones who are available, who could and would go. But go we must, for we were created in God's image. And it is that image, as mysterious as it may be, that all things are being restored to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.